Welcome to The Laws of Style, featuring conversations on creativity, fashion, and the law from the leading edge of our economy and culture. Hosted by noted fashion lawyer, Douglas Hand. Hello and welcome to The Laws of Style. I'm your host, Douglas Hand, and for this episode, I'm joined by creative visionary and emerging menswear style icon, Andy Yu. Andy, thank you for joining us here today. It's such a great honor to be on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, Andy, I mean, you you have become a fixture in fashion, art, and 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 food, particularly here in New York City, in a in a stunningly rapid amount of time, which is no small accomplishment. Tell us about your background and how it led to this this, and I'm going to give you this status, you know, tastemaker that we see before us now. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, my background is rooted in passion for fashion, art, and food. I've always been drawn to create expression. And uh, obviously over the year, I hone my taste and style, working with a variety of customer and companies. And uh, uh, you know, now I have become a task maker in New York City. And uh, also, you know, in my past, I worked with Michael Kors. I worked with Mickey Dressler for J. Cruz. I feel like I have been very lucky to work with a lot of influential people in fashion, and they really inspire me. And uh, that's how my paths become. Oh my goodness! Well, so you've you've named some names that are dear to me as well. Oh, thank uh, you. I'm going to riff on that actually, because Fern yes. Ellis described you to me as a tidal wave of style, a tidal wave. And really, <laughs> Chavaria uh, has described you as an epic rush of glam energy bordering on a storm. <laughs> and then I recently watched your tape with Martha, where she, re she described you as a tornado. So what is it with you and being described as, as, as a natural disaster when it comes to style? Oh. You asked all the right question. I think the natural disaster reference, probably in relation to my style, a simply metaphor to use to describe, you know, uh, the impact, energy, my fashion choices. Uh, why not be ordinary if you can be extraordinary? You know, like a tide wave, a rush of a glare energy or a tornado. I think in general, my style is bold, dynamic, captivating and dramatic because I think fashion is an experience. Um, I personally love clean aesthetic when I was young. And uh, at this point in my life, I, I wanted to show people and not to be afraid to express your creativity. So I guess that, you know, being an Asian American usually is more reserved and more uh, humble. And uh, I think perhaps maybe I stand out, but you know I'm I'm quite happy to you know to be express myself in a way, and uh, at least I got recognition from people, whatever they call me, you know. So I'm happy with that. Well, in the legal profession, we we call those all force majeure events. So maybe I'll refer to you as the force majeure <laughs> of fashion. Um, okay. But let's let's unpack that, and and I'll throw up some images here uh, for our watchers. You are clearly not afraid of color. You are not afraid of scale of of dimension. In fact, three dimensional aspects to your style choices. How have you been comfortable 
being so bold and and how did you achieve an eye for these very difficult concepts to integrate into one wardrobe right um i think the you know question go back about the gender the male and female fashion i've been working in fashion for 30 years i would say 90 percent of my business is focused on women in america but if you look asia or european market the men's fashion is equally or more important even than women's clothes. So I think Americans getting there, the blurring between traditional gender and boundary fashion has been significantly, you know, trend in the recent years. The rise of unisex or gender flu offering reflect a social like shift towards inclusivity and self-expression. So while trends still may come and go, is likely to accept and incorporate a diverse style, which continues to shape and fashion. And also the young generation, look Harry Style, look Timothy Chalamet. You know, they they are, are very comfortable about their sexuality, but you know, their fashion choice is, is, is bold, is colors, you know, is, is a blur between female and male. You know, also look at history of a French fashion back then. The guys wear skirts, the lace, you know, the makeup. I mean, like, it's just, I think just that we have a lot of history and, you know, from the past that men love fashion as much as women. Well, yeah. And you look at the natural world and you see, for instance, the peacock, the male Absolutely. of which is the peacock that we all know and love. And the female version of the peacock is actually looks a lot like a, a, a hen with a long neck. Uh, always, <laughs> always. But so... Well, you answered one of my questions, which is this, um, what we've seen, the the convergence of, of male and female fashion into a more gender fluid offering that, that um, you know, that is being plumbed by people like yourself, as well as certain style icons. Do you feel that this is a trend that is current for now, or do you think it's something that will last? Um, I think the media is keep pushing the narrative. I do feel like for a lot of people in Asia and Europe, as you go shop around the market, they are already have so many people across unisex. And I, I think, you know, I know I cannot predict the future, but I feel like that really brought the horizon for guys and girls. And just it's it's a scale, you know, there's a LGBTQ uh, plus community, you know, when I was young, it was such you no know, such a thing. And now the gender and the sexuality could be different things. So there's fashion choices. You know, why does a girl has to wear pink? Why does boy have to wear blue? You know, that was the that was the thing with being tall. But having said that, maybe some girl like blue, some boy like pink. So how do we, you know, keep the narrative, push the narrative and really normalize everything? I think that, you know, the world and perhaps the Gen Z is ready for that trend. And it will it will continue the conversation. Well, I'm going to ask you somewhat of a, a hackneyed question at this point, but uh, I'm very interested in your answer. What for you is the difference between fashion and style? Um, a lot of people ask me the question. So I think in my opinion, fashion referred to the you know, the prevailing trend, the style designer, they're popular, popular at given times, like this 80s, 90s, 60s. It is influenced by the industry, the designer, the cultural shift. Um, on the other hand, style is more of an individual, unique way to express their personality and preference 
through their clothes and accessory. I think style is timeless, a personal, and the fashion is more of more of the transcend the moment that you know you are fashionable because you follow the designers, you shop the clothes. Um, and the, the most important thing, even for me, is that when you say this person has a great style, for the most part, the person was born with that gift or uh, in intuition. You can really teach people fashion, but you can never teach people style. Well, that's that's well put, and um, yeah, there's a timeless element to style that um, you know pervades somebody's persona, not just with fashion choices, candidly, with you know choices of 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 food, of art, of literature, etc. Um, but one of the principles that that I believe. And in fact, one of the laws of style, I mean, from the book, um, is that confidence can become a self-perpetuating style, meaning that if you are wearing something that you feel confident in, that you feel you look good in, that you're projecting that outwardly and what you're getting back from people because you're doing that is positive reinforcement which then makes you project even more confidence and it becomes this wonderful self-perpetuating cycle. I guess a few questions there. I mean, do you believe that as well? And given your style choices, um, you know, do you think you're one of the most confident people on the planet? Um, I have to tell you, this is a really good question. You know, I mean, you are really spot on for a lot of people in fashion or the consumer. I think confidence in the self-perpetuating cycle, when one feels and confident in their own style choices, irradiate and boost their overall confidence. You know, confidence allow uh, for experimentation, the ability to embrace the bold fashion choices. While I appreciate the compliment, I believe confidence is something that can be cultivated by anyone, regardless of their style. And even in addition, when I went to England as a young young designer, I went to the Silver Row or I went to Italy, I really had my first tailor-made suits. And it made me realize, wow, that not just you're paying for the price for tailor-made, when the clothes fit you, like tailor tailoring clothes, you transform to someone else. You transform to a different person that give you the confidence, also the power, and everything, it become like a, I don't know how to explain to you, like it become, you become a different person. But with that person, you, with the confidence, it's just like you win a, a lottery. You know, you can do a lot of things with more confidence. You go out to talk to your customer and you're doing the business. That's why when I see a guy, perhaps, you know, someone like you to wear beautiful tailoring suits, you know, it's, it's just right away, the respect is there. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, maybe not a different person, but the best version of yourself. Correct. Yeah, you're you're really comfortable and you you feel elevated. I mean, look, the suit, the traditional suit, has that element of enhancing a man's body based on a vision of a man's body where the shoulders are wider than the waist and you know, he is trim, he is capable. I think. You know, you can hide a lot with a suit, but ultimately most men want to look capable and elegant, strong, charismatic. And I think tailored clothing does does a great job of that. 
Um, so tell us a little bit about your experience with tailored clothing. Were you trained in tailored clothing and does that inform your design currently today? The tailoring, when I was at school as a fashion student, of course we were exposed to that. And we were, went to uh, Italy or France. We see how the couture house were made. I mean, even the lapel for men's suit has probably 200 blank stitch inside to, to fit beautifully. It's a very special skill set that it takes years to perfect it. I would say many top-notch designers may not even have this skill in terms of tech, technical aspect of it. Um, it is a tradition that rooted in Italian culture, the English culture, um, perhaps in India or some countries, because because each garment in the past was made to fit one person versus mass produce. So the tailoring is more, you know, from the is a scale and craft based on that necessity versus now we're mass produced clothes, we're trying to fit everything in. And I say also culturally, culture-wise, American guys like something roomy. They don't want everything too fitted, you know. So they also culture aspect of fitting to not require tailoring because you know bag is fine, you know, the big is fine. So you know, it's just the standard of you know the market, you know, practice that for a lot of American men may never had a chance to try tailoring clothes because they don't have to. Right. Right. Well, that's. Uh... That's a good point. And I think a lot of Europeans, particularly bemoan and, and, you know, in Southeast Asia, where tailoring is such a craft, uh, you know, bemoan the sort of American man who comes in his, you know, sort of sack suit and everything is a little bit sloppy and a little bit oversized, <laughs> a little bit puddling, right? Um, back, to, back to inspirations in fashion. I mean, the, you, you are such a connoisseur of art. Uh, fine art, I guess I'll say, you know, uh, sculpture and printed artwork, painting. What do you think the relationship there is between fashion and art? Thank you. That's an excellent question. I think the relationship between art and fashion is symbolic. Fashion usually take uh, inspiration from art, whether through prints, color, or silhouettes. All provide a source of creativity, inspiration for all designers, pushing boundaries and challenging, you know, a conventional thing. Similar, similarly, fashion can also be seen as a form of wearable art, allowing individuals to express themselves and make statements through their clothing. I mean, any given day, you can just thousand choice for you to 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 do a all different price point. Like, how do you put a clothes every day going out? You know that you have to make the choice, like. I believe people don't understand everyone in the world is a designer for their own because you choose what shirt you're going to put on, what pants you're going to wear, what shoes you're going to wear, and do they look good? Is good enough for you? And nothing to do with the price or nothing to do with the you know, cost or you know anything like that. So I think that this is everyone make choice every single day what they're wearing, even the pajama. I, I, I think you know 90% of people, maybe I'm just guessing, are wearing clothes. I'm sure there's like native tribe, they wear leaves, you know, whatever. I don't know about it, but I've been traveling around the world. I would say, you know, even you stay home all day, you still have to wear something comfortable. So, you know, there's a definitely wearable art in, in, in everybody, for sure. It's interesting 
to hear it described that way because it really does become a bit of a collaboration between not only the designer who is putting items of fashion out there for us to choose from, but then each individual consumer or wearer then has elements much like an artist with a, you know, cans of paint and colored pencils or whatever their medium is, but that you can choose from and sample from as the wearer to present yourself uniquely, to present your personal work of art. Now you've done that in a way that I want to ask, I mean, how often are you wearing your own designs versus the designs of others? When I was young, obviously, like everybody else, I followed designers. My idols are McQueen's, Tang Foy Gucci's. You know, when I was 20 some years old, when I went to the fashion house, um, I just, I love their, you know, I love the silhouette. I love how beautiful the clothes were made. Um, you know, working in fashion for 30 years, obviously, I, I made a lot of clothes for a variety of customers from top to, you know, mass market. And your view has changed. You know, I, I feel like when you get a little older, perhaps the comfort is important to you. Also, you know, to a storytelling is important to you. Um, I would say perhaps perhaps 50-50 that for the past three years, I have, I have been involved with two or three charities that really focus on sustainability. And I see they're burning those clothes in fast fashion and really cause so much problem damage to the environment you know, put this climate change on, on, on the side. You know, I'm not, I don't have to be the person to tell you yes or no, one way or the other, but if we can help the environment, why not to do more? And secondly, you know, so I would say most of my closest days are found in a thrift shop, a vintage clothes shop. And with my ability, you know, if it's broken, I fix it. If there's a hole in the back, I put some patchwork there. So I think, you know, I would say maybe 80% of my clothes are my own design these days. Wow. Well, that is hopefully in some sense the future. I mean, we, we can get to that because you brought it up and it is uh, an absolute imperative, I think, on the fashion industry to address its wastefulness issue. Uh, it is the second most wasteful industry on the planet, second only to oil and gas. And, and when people hear that, it, it, it floors them, but they don't recognize how much overproduction there is typically in fashion. And that leads to some of the actions that you're talking about, largely to protect brand. I mean, Burberry and Prada and others have burned their clothing so that it not be sold at a lower price point and thereby erode brand value. And so that's a that's a sane business decision, but it's not a decision that is in line with protecting Mother Earth, our planet. And it is something that I know brands care about, but they are caught in somewhat of a uh, difficult situation where with the current retail market, they're almost forced to overproduce in order to ensure that those items that are successful at retail that they've made enough of during the time that they are quote unquote hot. Um, so so back to back to sort of answering or responding to your question, I love the notion that there is a future perhaps where people have a new relationship with their clothing, much 
perhaps like they did a thousand years ago, where if you didn't know how to darn your own, if you didn't know how to sew your own clothing and stitch it up and, and fix it, if it was broken, you were really in trouble. You were yes. in trouble <laughs> you yes. know, because it would be cold. You were in trouble because right. it would be cold, right? right? And so much right. in the same way that maybe 30 years ago, the first time someone looked at a personal computer, if they were of a certain age or you know, an iPhone, they thought I must be a technologist to operate this thing. Well, no, now everyone knows how to operate those things. And if we go back a thousand years, everybody knew how to fix their own clothes. So hopefully we will get to a future where maybe they're not doing it as elegantly as you, but everyone does know how to repair and sort of keep their own clothes operable. And then to your point, it opens the doors to them being able to perhaps embellish their own clothes. So I'll sort of lay that. That's not a question. I just, I'd, I'd love your reaction to that. Um, I, I would say for the past five years, I see a big shift. Also many stores for Gen Z that really take the sustainability thrift shop to a different level. There are probably 30 stores in New York City alone and Brooklyn as a massive up display of thrift shopping, shop thrift store. And I see people buying the t-shirts and buying the clothes. You know, when I went to Canada, I see a lot of stores on the main street next to a high-end store, other in a vintage store, thrift shop. And the young kids, college kids or kids that A, they save money. They don't have to spend so much money buying a t-shirt. And the t-shirt is the best because it's been washed 200 times. It's best for your body and so soft. Right. And also for the young generation, they feel like that's what they want to do. It's cool. So it's up to us to keep the, to push the narrative and raise the awareness. You know, so my role and my continued uh, job, I mean, my, my passion is really to see, listen, I did a fashion show, 800 people, mil 8 million to see me. We have this podcast right now, but I can be the person I got invited to everywhere because my fashion, having said that, my clothes is not designer, which is I, I can buy, but it's from a chicken wire, wrapping paper, a broken pieces, you know? So that's the goal I'm trying to put myself out there to keep raising the awareness besides just donate the money because that is totally different, two different things. Can both are equally important. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's really taking the wearer, the consumer outside of caring about brand and caring just about the garment, right? Because ultimately that is what you're wearing. I mean, unless you're some logoized freak, right? Who you want everyone to know, hey, this is what I'm wearing. Uh, you really are just putting out there the clothes and how they fit on you. And, and you have done that to uh, an amazing degree. I, I do wanna not look over the fact that you also are quite a foodie and uh, i watched you preparing uh dumplings with um, martha stewart um but what what do you think the relationship between food and maybe i'll broaden it food and hospitality because i do think of food is one of the most hospitable elements of of host hospitality uh food hospitality and fashion you know, is there a relationship there? And 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 if you believe that there is one, do you think more brands actually should be involved in hospitality? Yes, yes. I, I think the relationship between food and hospitality lies in their shared goal of creating experience. 
Um, just a fashion can evoke emotion and tell the story. So can food hospitality. Both industry, you know, prioritize a memorable experience to be involved with, you know, um, between the you know from the beginning to the end, and just so there are opportunity for collaboration and crossover event to create a unique and immersive experience for consumers. If you look, uh, the highly anticipated. Uh, Louis Vuitton Hotel in Paris, you know, why they opened that art? Because they, they're the number one closing line in the world already. But it's just a very organic shift that found, you know, I love Louis Vuitton. I like everything about Louis Vuitton, but I want to be in the hotel. I want to go. I want to see what Louis Vuitton can provide me. So it's just like I mentioned earlier, it's a immersive experience. Like when I go to a certain hotel, they choose certain product. Like, you know, Frederick Malone is beautiful cologne. You know, I went to a fourth season. So the scents and the, the perfume and the shampoo they use, they're really, you know, it's a whole immersive experience. Like you, um, I, I live in downtown by uh 15th by Philippe Stark 20 years ago. So Philippe Stark is a furniture designer. So he, someone asked him to design a building. So I was the first person, you know, among others to move in there. Now Armani has a, Armani has a hotel. All the fashion people has a hotel, but you know they keep the same aesthetic. Uh, you know, so people to buyer to see their even before you know even the finish, they they kind of know what to expect. What designer come up with, like as you and I probably love Polo Bar. I mean, Ralph Lauren is the closing line for hundreds of years. You know, I mean, forty years. Why is Polo Bar so popular? He, why Polo Bar? He's never into food. You know, he's my neighbor here, but you know he created experience that you know it's number one it's so hard to get reservation there and it, it's, it's transformed as an immersive experience as you know it's in the basement no light you know i just don't understand but doesn't matter we can never get reservation there <laughs> well it is um look food you gather around a table to eat usually you know food is a very uh, social experience uh, largely, uh, thank thank God for us that it is. You know, food for a lot of the planet is is viewed largely as a necessity. You know, we we have the benefit of being able to view it as as a reason to gather. But because it's a reason to gather and a and a sense of occasion, it 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 perfectly aligns with brand. And I think there are many people who would love to see what many brands bars would be. The Polo Bar is is a very very acutely perfect. You know, <laughs> representation of, yes. of Ralph's world. And it's, right, it's fascinating right. in that regard. Right, but as right. you and I both know, Ralph has many worlds. I want to see his uh, cowboy bar. You know, I want to see a more Western version of the polo bar. And I want to see, uh, I want to see other brands doing that same thing. I think it's, uh, it's pretty lucrative. That brings up also brand collaborations, which uh, have, have really dominated the conversation uh, the fashion conversation, whether they're low high, where you know a Kohl's or a Target will will collaborate with a higher end uh, designer, or they're two brands and they simply collaborate. What do you think of those? Do you think that they are uh, filling a need where the consumer says, "I really want to know if Prada and Doc Martin have a baby, what that looks like," or do you think they're a little bit of just sizzle without the steak? Um, I think echo what you're saying. The collaboration has become a driving force in the fashion. Um, they allow brand to tap into a new market, 
reach a new audience and bring together different creative perspective. So collaboration bring this excitement and freshness to the industry. Um, you know, I you can see H and N is a mass market, a lower price point, fast fashion. They invite all the designer to do a collaboration, you know, edgier one. So they just, everything sold out, you know, but people, when people go to the store, they may buy one or two pieces of, uh, you know, high-end designer and edgy designer, but they also, you know, create this uh, rush to go to the store. And I, I would say, you know, for the recent years, I was shocked, like Donatella Versace had a collaboration with, uh, um, is Dachi Gabbano maybe? I'd like it's like even a two high end fashion houses and collaborate and they put a logo together. It was like because we live in such a social media uh, traffic in you know, a world. So, you know, oh, another Versace, another, another, another Dachi Gabbano. Like, you know, it's there, but have you seen their collaboration? Or, like I mentioned, Dr. Martin has something else, you know, Converse, a friend of ours does Converse collaboration. They are doing co this collaboration every every two months because they want to reach a different audience. People buy Converse the sneakers, but they work with a jewelry designer, they work with a shoe designer. So, you know, it, it's, it's a really a great marketing and genius way to grow, to cross over other people's thing. And sometimes when the two designer, two design houses collaborate together, it, it becomes something completely new. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Hence the hence the baby reference, I guess. Um, well, many, many view fashion as being this objectively glamorous industry. Uh, I'll ask, do you agree? Because you're very much an insider. And whether you agree or disagree, what are what are some of the more surreal moments that you've experienced within the industry, whether that's making dumplings, you know, with with another designer or, um, you know, finding someone on set who throws a tantrum and, um, you know, breaks down into a mush of, of tears? Um, I think a lot of people think fashion is so glamorous. Designer is the god. Designer is whatever. I mean, working in fashion for 30 years, I have three companies, hundreds of employees. I just did a fashion show for eight minutes. It required hundreds of hours, 80 people to make the 10 minutes look decent. So you recently put a show on, um, which uh, I am I'm very excited to see. I, I still haven't seen it. Tell us about it. Yes. Yeah, so uh, about like a, a month ago, there's a Chinese media group called CCTV. They were the uh, largest TV station network in China. And we are celebrating the Year of the Dragon um, next week, which is the biggest celebration. Also, 75th, 75 China uh, government started 75 year ago, fifth years ago. So this is a big celebration. Among 25 designers to interview, you know, all the Asian American designers, they I'm very honored to be chosen by them. Um, but I have to come out with a collection that is related to the Year of the Dragon to, you know, bridge my heritage, Chinese heritage, but deliver in a modern way. Uh, obviously, I fall for the sustainability. So I mentioned to them, there has to be upfront and personal to my cost. So the material will be mostly thrifting 
and the material everyday value, you know, from chicken wires to wrapping papers, but I will make a show. Uh, so they agree. Uh, I took on the challenge. Last Friday, the show was delivered with 31 model head-to-toe look in front of the 350 guests in front of UN ambassadors, you know, the mayor of New York, as long as a lot of celebrities and special friends. Um, it's well-received. And the finale, I was holding hand with firm Alice. She's a fashion godmother, as well as my dear friend, Martha Stewart. Um, so I hold both of the hands on, you know, on the finale and, you know, thank everyone who supported me. Um, so I hope, you know, I think the show was a, a little bit of a very great message in terms of bridging the culture as well as the, you know, to keep the sustainability in the front center. When I was doing my own company, I have all the design in the world. 90% of my time, believe it or not, is to managing people. That's the most difficult job in fashion because if you're a lawyer, if you're finance people, there's answer, always a correct answer. There is no correct answer in design. You can have a three sleeve. If you think that's right, that's right. You know, you can call red green if that's your house. So it's very hard when there's no rule, which is great. I mean, I cannot see myself working in the office or working in a law firm because I don't know, I'm not cut off for that. But, you know, I can be creative from the morning to night and all crazy ideas and never run an idea. But to run the business, be successful for the fashion houses, I think it's definitely, you know, people have to look into the bigger picture and how much work behind the scene to make, this one show happen to make a company successful. Um, so it's really a big teamwork. Yeah, well, that's that's well put. I mean, it is communication and relationships and managing people often, no matter what the industry. And, and one of the the always correct answers in the legal field is it depends, which of course isn't an answer, but it's one of the lawyer's favorite answers. Um, I will ask, and this may be moot now because you have such a personal style, but as your style was being developed, what individuals, what people, whether alive or have passed on, inspired you and inspired your fashion choices? To be honest, honest with you, I got inspired by everyday people, by everyday object, by my experience. You know, when I travel around the world, when I see um, perhaps a flower in Tuscany, I see an old telephone booth, you know, somewhere else. Like, I think the inspiration, you know, or, you know, a tie, an ocean in, in the Hampton, which is, I use that for a lot of my collection. I think nature is the best inspiration for me. Also, I'm surrounded by such a wonderful energy and people that really, um, just you know, it's just they love fashion, they love art. I mean, the the possibility is really endless. I mean, I can go to the Met, the museum, look all the master, the painting, the colors. I mean, I can probably come with thousands of collection based on that. So I think there's so many beauty around us, and nature is the best artist. Wow. Uh, well, normally I ask what three cities do you think are the most stylish? And I will ask that. But before I ask that, because of your, your answer regarding nature, what, what places have you been to? And maybe give me three, whether they are as amazingly huge and, and you know, as the Grand Canyon, 
or as you said, a telephone booth maybe you know at the corner of of some intersection in Turin, Italy. But are there three locations that you can say specifically inspired something that you designed? Right. Um, I, I have been to many countries. I mean, uh, there's many, 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 many more I'd love to come. If you ask me in terms of art and design, I will give you my number one choice is in Japan. I think the Japanese, the way they approach art, it, it is above and beyond. Equally as the friends. They just, the, the culture, the fashion and the art, you know, it's so deep rooted in the, in the whole, everybody else. The third place, I would say probably in Florence, Italy. I feel like when I go to Florence or Italy, I mean, I just go to the fish market. You know, I, they how they display, you know, it's like art form. They never want to take just like a fish, you know, open display. Even they're just a seafood, like a little stand. You know, and when I go to Japan, I always often tell people, it doesn't matter how big the restaurant is. In every restaurant in Japan is super clean and they have a little bit of touch of flowers or a little, little something. Art piece could be a, a broken, a broken something. Like people take a lot of pride because it's in root in their culture and and you know in their um so that's I think the three country I would say probably inspire me every time I got surprised every time I go. Are, are are there two more that that come to mind? The other city that impressed me a lot is Cape Town, South Africa, because I think perhaps their culture, their pate, you know, time period. There's so much of a beauty that we have never seen as as America because it was just I so isolated we couldn't get in. So when I went to South Africa, and I did a whole trip on my fortieth birthday. You know, besides the museum in Cape Town, you know, all the beautiful art artists, I have never seen the colored explosion. Is that the safari trip I spent to be stay in the camp with the elephant next to me, you know, monkey, you know, like I, I, like every day I was like mesmerized by what the nature gave us and how the animal, I mean, how do they look like that? You know, the, the pattern on the body, and how does like a bird has seven different colors? Like, you know, our fashion thing is just a fraction of what nature artists and Mother Earth can provide, you know? So we only take a little fraction of it and to make something art. Even Picasso is the master of the master compared to what I see in Africa, the true form of nature, because obviously I, I grew up in Asia and the United States. I have never seen nature in that way to wake up horizon five o'clock to see sun comes out with all the animal coming to hunting, you know, I, it is really that I think is a really a beautiful moment uh, that I will always take with me to see I have I, in modern nature and, you know, how animal and nature and human can synchronize, you know, on the harmonic way, you know, that is a, a beautiful, powerful message for myself. Wow. Well, pivoting quite a bit uh, and talking a little bit business of fashion, uh, during our time in the industry, we have seen uh, LVMH that we've spoken about and uh, the, the conglomerate Kering. And in the US, we've seen uh, Tapestry and Capri Holdings merge to create you know, a broader platform of multiple brands. Do you feel that that is um, a positive move for the future to have single ownership of multiple brands? Or do you think that it 
takes those brands and it takes a bit of their identity away so that they are less creative? Um, my honest answer is just two aspects. As a business for profit, I think they're doing a phenomenal job. They're the wealthiest person in the world company because they their profit margins went to the roof. Doesn't matter COVID or what happened in the world. But as a designer, I used to go to Paris. I go to a little mom and pop shop. I see individuality, individual designer, individual aesthetic, each store that you know inspire me. People like to shop. For the past 15 years, those small shops are diminished. They're gone. They cannot compete with the mega company. Also, it's hard to sustain a business when you do a small um, lot cutting. As you know, the price is higher. So they just couldn't compete. For instance, like same thing with the food industry. I think 80%, 80% of food was owned by only five, six company, Kraft or things like that. You know, but we, you know, for for me, I would love to support the local grower and the organic market, the farmer's market. Like someone like us, if we understand how the thing works, you know, we don't have to change people's view. You know, I'm not saying I'm not going to shop in Louis Vuitton or grocery store, but just pay attention on the small business. I think with our support, you know, we can help them. And, uh, you know, the, they are artists as well. You know, I have a, I have a friend who making a uh, panettone. It's like a bread. It taking it take it takes him twenty hours to make the bread, but it, but it's very expensive. It's five times more than store bought, but that's the time he put in, and the quality is superior than anything else. But you know, so that's the kind of thing that I think everybody, when when we talk about this podcast, to really think about and pay attention, like what what is the you know in our life that what can we do to help to support that you know as well. Yeah. Well, maybe let's get back to some of our thoughts. Maybe they're, they're collective thoughts. Maybe you have your own on the wastefulness of fashion. Um, a lot of the wastefulness results from fashion being a seasonal cycle, right? And fashion having being predicated upon what they just sold you three months later is now obsolete not because it doesn't function as a garment, but because it doesn't function as fashionable. Um, how do you think we fix that model? As a designer, as a manufacturer myself, that's the way to make money. You have to create a fashion, people are coming to buy, and three months later to buy more. It is the business model and never change. Having said that, I feel like, you know, when we look back to past fashion, Maybe there's a jacket passed on from your father, grandfather to your son and was well made, but there's the energy and story and piece of information that passing on through generation. Also appreciation, like the granddaughter wear mother's wedding gown, the mother have, you know, uh, you know, for Christian to wear, you know, her when she was young. So I feel like the story attached to each garment was sort of destroyed when the fast fashion coming to place. And you know, I, obviously I worked with Zara in the past. You know, I admire how speedy they are in terms of creativity. They have the most number designer in the world. And you know, I, I have never seen anybody work so fast and to capture the market like that. That never kudos to the success. But having said that, I think 
you know, there's a two way to do thing. It's really to look your swarmen, you know, to cut on certain pieces, you know, perhaps, you know, to still generate some profit, but really add a value to some pieces. Second thing, the technology, which is, I mean, planting to my design and helping people is that if something that do not sell, the technology is there to recycle. I think that's the key. If we, we cannot tell people not to produce, to make money, but when they're left over, is here. How can we take care of the leftover and bring back to fashion again as a full circle versus to burning them? Yeah, uh, that's a great point, Andy. I mean, unlike major appliances or perhaps automobiles, which are manufactured in a way such that if you dent a door in a four-door car, you don't turn the car in and say, this car doesn't work anymore. You get the door replaced or the back window cracks, you get the back window replaced. It's rare that someone, I don't know, finds some flaw on one arm of a, of a sport coat and just gets that replaced or gets that fixed. And it is a bit of a changing of our relationship with our clothes so that they are not like pieces of tissue paper, disposable, but they are more like major appliances or, and I love your reference to, things that carry memories in them, if in fact they were handed down through a family member. Uh, but that is, that is a heavy lift to change people's perception. The, the other thing that I find often with um, perhaps younger people who are on uh, tighter budgets is that- You've been listening to The Laws of Style with Douglas Hand. For more information, H&M, go to our website at www.hbalp.com. And, and you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at Hand of the Law. Thank you for tuning they, in they and it stay is stylish. Claim and based on the price points, the relative price points between a Zara blouse and a Stella McCartney blouse, they're, they're not wrong. So how, how would you respond to that? I think also when I was young, your question is so relevant. I will be afraid to go to Target or I will be afraid to go to like lower price point because I walk into fashion, people are judging me what I wear, you know, and I just don't want to go there. But the time has changed. There's a, for instance, there's a store called L Trend in Brooklyn. I mean, I see people to buy the T-shirt for $5, $10. And also I see a lot of young people, the influencer, you know, the star. They're really mixing, thrifting, you know, seconds close into the mainstream. So I do feel like, you know, for the past 15 years, there's a cultural shift about thrifting, you know, um, you know, perhaps not undergarment, but the T-shirts, you know, the jeans, the jackets, you know. People think it's cool. So when I go to the store, I'm so happy to see people buying those things. And they, they, they don't have much money. The college students, you know, they all open up so rapidly. I think I don't have the number, but the, the secondhand fashion is a very rapid growth. Company. You probably have more number, you know, the, the exact number, the business as well. So I'm just so happy to do that. I will say for average people, we keep pushing the narrative. You don't have to tomorrow say, okay, I'm gonna wait. I'm not gonna buy any clothes anymore. That's not realistic. Is to take responsibility and do the best you could. If we can save 
I would say hundred thousand pieces a month, you know, what you know, for United States or even this podcast can inspire people to save hundred pieces garment, you know, to do certain things like we join force, you know, the start from somewhere. Well, I love to hear you say that. Uh, I you may not know, I'm on the board of Goodwill who is a major purveyor of, uh, of secondhand items, uh, mainly apparel. And I find it amazing when students from FIT or Parsons, those are some of our big, big consumers, come in and are able to either upcycle uh, an existing garment and make it amazing, or take straight off the rack and be able to put an outfit together and style it in a way that looks fashionable. To me, that is a much higher bar than the kind of uh, kit dressing of I'm going to go into, even if it's a lower priced, a Zara or an H&M or a Shein and just buy the whole outfit and have them simply dress me. I find it much more stylish to be the stylist and uh, it, it helps the planet and it helps your bottom line as, as, as a personal, you know, I mean, Goodwill is still a lot cheaper than Zara, I can assure you. But on the other hand, there's a store I shop every week. The money goes to 100% go to charity, so does Goodwill. So the money you spend, actually, it benefits other people. So that's a message that we have to tell people that not just spend the money on the marketing, you know, pay for the store, but the money you, you help. A lot of people need a food, need a, a shelter. You know, that. I think that's another message we have to connect consumers to understand. Absolutely. Uh, and, and in Goodwill's case, it's it's helping people who are challenged finding jobs, whether that's because yes. they have some mental deficiencies or they were recently incarcerated or they're coming off of uh, uh, recovering from addiction. Uh, all people who struggle to find jobs, helping them to find jobs, Absolutely. to train them. So what better way to spend your money than uh, to actually have it go directly to those programs? It strikes me as well. Andy, that uh, this spring we have our upcycled red carpet gala, and you will be one of my guests of honor. And hopefully oh, I would love to join. We we may even encourage you to design something that we auction off. If uh, if you'll, it'll be my honor. Well, listen, Andy, we are out of time, but thank you so much uh, for joining today, and uh, everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next. Thank time. you so much. Thank you.